Welcome to the teaching ministry of Temple Baptist Church. While we hope you can join us in person, our prayer is that this message will encourage you to love God and serve Him in a deeper way. Well, good morning. Oh, you can do better than that. Good morning. Good. You're with me. That's a good thing. I am Dave, for those of you who don't know, and I'm one of the pastors here, and we are excited because we are in the middle of our summer series entitled God is on the Move, and we've been looking at the book of Genesis. And today we're going to talk about how God moves through promises. Before we do any of that, let's begin with a word of prayer. It's a good idea. Let's go before God. Let's ask him to come and to speak to us and challenge us where we're at. So let's pray together. Dear Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity we have just to come into your presence and sing praises to the creator of the universe. And Lord, these next few moments, we're going to open your word, and we know that you have something for us because none of us are here by coincidence or chance because you do not work that way. And so I pray that you would prepare our hearts, remove all the distractions of the week, and I pray that you would get me out of the way because we want to hear from you this morning. Lord, you are the potter, I'm the clay. I thank you so much for that privilege. In your name I pray, amen. This morning, I have brought with me a needle. Now, I apologize, it is small. It's the biggest one I could find. But you're probably wondering, Dave, why do you have a needle? Well, this morning we're talking about promises, and as I was thinking about promises, I went all the way back to my childhood, to my school days. And there were times when I was at school where I would make promises to my classmates. But the problem was they didn't always believe me. And so to convince them that my promise was good, I would say this, cross my heart, hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye. One word, ouch, right? I don't know where that came up with, I don't know where they came up with that, but here's the thing I think if you stop and you think for a moment what we are saying, it's kind of scary. Because what I'm saying to you is this if I am not good for my word, if I renege, I will take this needle and I will stick it in my eye. Talk about extreme. Whatever happened to the good old handshake and you were good, right? But here's the sad part, that we have to go to that extreme to get someone to believe us, to believe that our promises are good. You know, I have to admit this morning, all of us would be in the situation where someone makes a promise to you, and no sooner they made the promise to you, and you are thinking in your head, I will believe it when I see it. How many of you have ever said that? Let's be honest, I've said that. And you know, it's interesting, the reason why we do that is because I think as humans, we struggle with keeping our promises. And therefore, we struggle in believing promises. Let's face it, we live in a world full of broken promises. Maybe it's a parent who was promised that they will never leave his or her children and now abandon them. Or maybe it's that spouse who promised till death do us part, but now is nowhere to be found. Or maybe it's that that, that, that job promotion that was guaranteed, but now it's fallen through. 
Whatever it is, we have all been on the end of broken promises which leave us kind of critical, critical and cynical. And so what happens is this, is people make promises to us and our natural reaction is to doubt instead of believe. You know, it's interesting, I think Jesus knew that we would struggle as humans to keep our word. And that is why he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 37, he says this, but let your yes be yes and no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. You see, what Jesus is challenging us to be here is people of our word. Others need to take our word at face value. Our promises need to be able to stand on their own. We shouldn't have to make oaths. I shouldn't say to you that if I break my promise, I'll stick this needle in my eye. I shouldn't say that. My yes should be yes, and my no should be no, and that's the end of it. But here's the problem. We're human, and because we're human, we're sinful. And because we're sinful, we are going to struggle. Now here's the danger. Because all of us have been recipients of broken promises, and all of us have felt that, that, that feeling of disappointment and doubt, it is so easy for us to project those ideas and those feelings onto God. Because we've experienced empty promises from other people, we assume that God's promises are empty too. And this is what I want us to understand this morning. That couldn't be further from the truth. Because get this, a promise is as good as the character of the one who makes it. And God's character is beyond reproach. This morning, we're gonna continue our study in the book of Genesis. And we're gonna look at a man by the name of Abraham who God made a promise to. In fact, if you've got your Bibles this morning or your iPads or your phone, whatever you have, I want you to open it and I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 12. It'll be on the screen as well, but I really want you to see this for yourself. Now, because the story of Abraham kind of covers a lot of chapters, we're going to jump from chapter to chapter, but the first chapter we're going to start at is Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, and this is God's promise to Abraham. So this is God speaking to Abraham, right? Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, here we go. Go from your country, your people, your father's household to a land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and, and, make you, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. We read this promise and we realize something, that this promise is pretty amazing. What he says to Abraham is, listen, Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants into a great nation. And get this, I will bless the entire world through you. Now, I want you to notice two things about this promise, though. In order for this promise to happen, Abraham would need to leave his comfort zone. You see what God tells him to do? He says, okay, what I want you to do is this, is I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave your people. I want you to leave your father's household. 
and I want you to go to the land I will show you. Get this. He doesn't tell them to go to Toronto or to Detroit or to Windsor. He says, I want you to go, and I'm not telling you where you're going. Because as you go, what I'm going to do is this, is I am going to show you. Talk about stretching your faith. For Abraham to follow this promise, he would have been totally out of his comfort zone. He would have stepped out and said, okay, God, I have no choice but to trust you. And the second thing that Abraham had to do is this, is he had to believe in the impossible. Because to have a great nation means this, is you have to have descendants. And to have descendants means you have to have children. And we read in this story that Abraham is 75 years old and he has no children. Because his wife is unable to conceive. But God doesn't stop there. Listen, he continues to talk to Abraham. I want you to go to Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 to 6. Because God comes back to Abraham and speaks to him, and he says this. Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 to 6, he says, And after this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham, Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who inherits my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Listen to this. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir. But a son who is of your own flesh and blood will be your heir. God took Abraham outside, it says. And he said this. Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So God shows up and says, listen, no. No, I'm going to give you a son. I promised that. I'm going to do it. And then he takes Abram outside, Abraham outside. He says, look up. Can you imagine that? Look how many stars there are. Try to count them. You can't, but try to. That is how numerous your descendants will be. And Abraham's probably like, whoa. But let me jump ahead. 11 years. So Abraham is now 86. And Abraham and Sarah still have no children. So that promise that he made 11 years ago, nothing's happened. He's like, where are you, God? And so what Abraham and Sarah decide to do is this, is they decide to take things into their own hands. And so Sarah convinces Abraham to have a child with their uh, Egyptian servant girl named Hagar. And Hagar has a son named Ishmael. But because it's not part of God's plan, things begin to fall apart, and Sarah becomes jealous of Hagar and Ishmael, and so she has Abraham send Hagar and Ishmael to go and survive on their own. He basically casts them out. And Ishmael's life now begins to spiral out of control. In fact, listen to the description of what Ishmael will be like. We actually see it in Genesis chapter 16, verse 12. It says this, He will be a wild donkey of a man. I've never heard that before. A wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live in hostility towards all of his brothers. I think it's interesting to note that this is where the conflict that we see today 
between the Muslims and the Jews begin right here. I don't know if you know this, but the Muslims are descendants of Ishmael. And the Jews are descendants of Isaac. And if you go to Jerusalem, I had an opportunity to go to Jerusalem a year and a half ago. And you walk through Jerusalem, you can feel the tension, especially on the Temple Mount where the temple was. We spent a few hours up there, and you can feel the tension. They yell at each other. They scream things at each other. And that tension is a result of these two groups of people that can be traced back to these two brothers. And it's all because Abraham decided to take things into his own hands. That's what happens when we don't wait on God's promises. Now, this is the part of the story I love. I love this part. Because despite Abraham's unfaithfulness, God remains faithful. He does. And I'm going to give you a big idea. And if this is all you remember from my sermon today, I hope it's not. But if it is, this is okay. This is the big idea. God is faithful all the time. And all the time, God is faithful. God is faithful all the time. And all the time, God is faithful. Instead of giving up on Abraham, God goes to him once again and listen to their interaction in Genesis chapter 17. This is verses 17 to 19. It says this, Abraham fell face down. And get this, he laughed. And he said to himself, will a son be born of a man 100 years old? And will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him as an eternal covenant for his descendants after him. And so what we learn here is this, is when God makes a promise, he will faithfully fulfill that promise. Because now Abraham is 100 and Sarah is 90. But God has promised to give them a child. And this is the last passage I want to show you in Genesis today. is Genesis 21, verses 1 to 2. Listen to what happens. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham at his old age. At the very time God had what? Promised him. God does exactly what he promised. But that shouldn't surprise us. Because God is faithful all the time. And all the time God is faithful. And here's the thing that's interesting, is if you continue to read the Bible through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you keep going, you're going to see this truth time and time again. Despite man's unfaithfulness, because we are so unfaithful to God, God remains faithful. He remains true. Why? Because God moves through his promises. Now here's the thing, that is an amazing story. It is. But it is so much than just a story we read to our kids. 
And so what I want to do is this. I want to take a few moments to make this real for our lives today. Because for many of us here this morning, we probably say this, that God has never really audibly made a promise to me in that way, the same way he made a promise to Abraham. He's never really spoken to me. But what we need to realize is this, is that God has given us many, many promises. They're all right here. In God's love letter to us. The Bible. In fact, let me share with you this morning some of the promises that have impacted my life. Jeremiah 29 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Romans 8, 38 and 39, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any other power, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all of creation, get this, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's another one, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will purify us from all unrighteousness. And this is probably the greatest, the greatest promise that God has ever given to us. And we all know this verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Amen? You know, these are the promises that we can depend on because a promise is as good as the character of the one who makes it. And God's character is beyond reproach. Now, it is great to have these promises, but we can't stop there. I think when it comes to God's promises, we are so grateful that God has given us these promises, but here's the thing I want you to get this morning, is we need to respond to them. And so what I'm gonna do this morning is this, I'm gonna give you three words. So if you get the big idea, God is faithful all the time, and all the time is God is faithful, and you get these three words, you're good. The three words are simply this. Know, believe, and act. Know, believe, and act. You see, we need to know God's promises. We do. Now, I want to illustrate. You know me. I'm the guy with objects. And so I want to illustrate these two stools that I brought this morning. Let me just grab them here. Okay, I apologize for you guys way over there. You may not be able to see this, but I'll lift them up so you can see them. Here are two stools. Okay. Oh, there we go. This stool I got from the youth room. It's a normal stool, no questions, right? This stool over here was made by Pastor Glenn. <laughs> the new guy, okay? Now, he told me, this stool is really cool, Dave, because what happens is this, is this leg actually moves, <laughs> right? 
He said, this one over here doesn't really touch the ground, but don't worry, it's like a spare tire. You just use it when you need it, right? And then back here, what he did was this. He said, Dave, this, I couldn't find a piece of wood long enough, so I just took two pieces and I just stuck them together. So that's good. He said, also, Dave, when you sit down, you want to be careful. It's a little dangerous. There's uh, some slivers there, so that could do some damage to your rear end. But he said, otherwise, it's good. Now, let me tell you something. I am not going to sit on this stool because, look, that's pretty scary. All right? Now, here's the point. A stool is as good as the skill of the one who makes it. A furniture company made this tool, and it is good, all right? This stool, how can I say this gently? This stool was made with love. <laughs> when Glenn told me, gave it to me, he said, Dave, I love you, and I feel the love coming off of it, right? But it's pretty safe to say that Glenn's gift is not stool making, okay? He should not become a stool maker. Would you agree? I would agree, right? Now, the reason I have these two stools is because I want them to represent two kinds of promises that we can find in our lives, right? First, we have the promises of the world, and then we have the promises of God. Now here's the danger. If we don't know the promises of God, then our focus becomes the promises of the world because we have nothing to compare them to. This is how we define a promise. But here's the cool part, is when we get to know God's promises, what happens is this, is it allows us to see how empty and shallow and hollow the promises of the world are. And it gives us a choice. We say, okay, you know what? These are no longer gonna distract us. These, these are no longer going to become our focus. And so what we do is this, is our focus becomes God's promises the ones that are sturdy, the ones that are solid, the ones that will never let you down and will stand the test of time. But here's the big question I wanna ask you, is how do we get to know these promises? We open this, because they're all here. We just open this. Now, you're gonna think, oh, Dave, that is so simple. You know what, that is more difficult than you think. Because if I was to ask you today how much time you spent in this today compared to watching TV, I would say probably 99% of us would be ashamed of what we said. Because we don't spend time in this. And you know why this is difficult? Listen to me. Because Satan doesn't want you in this. And the reason why is because he knows that the truths that are in these promises will dispel his lies. 
He knows if you know the truth and you can identify between God's promises and the world's promises and you can say that is shallow, that is empty, that is hollow, that is not part of my life. He knows if you can do that, he is going to lose control in your life. And guess what? He does not want that to happen. I think we need to realize this. is we're all about how great God is. But I think we forget about the enemy. Satan wants to sideline you. Satan doesn't want you to rest in God's promises. He wants you to be full of fear and anxiety. Because if he can do that, he can control you. He can influence you. But God's like, no, no. I love you so much. I gave you a love letter. Someone said to me this. This is just a book of rules. I said, no, 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 no. This is a love letter. The reason why God gave us promises was not so that he could say, do this, do this, and do this, and do this. He said, you know what? I love you so much. I'm going to give this to you so that when you live your life, you can live it in a way that's going to bless you. This brings hope. This brings peace. It brings all those kind of things. And the sad thing that breaks my heart is this, is just how many of us don't go into this. And even though it's difficult, even though it takes discipline to actually get in here, what you'll find is this. It is an investment that is so worth it. You spend a few hours with someone that's in God's word, you go, wow. Because God says, listen, I've given you all these promises. All you have to do is open it up and make it part of your life, and you'll be able to see just how hollow the lies of Satan are the promises of the world, and you can have a peace that only comes from me. And so, we need to know. The second thing I would say is this, is that we need to believe in God's promises. You see, it's not enough just to know them. I think we need to believe. And to believe in them, it's that transition from our head to our heart. See, it's not just intellectual. There needs to be an emotional connection. And the great thing is this, is I believe that when we believe in God's promises, what we do is this, is we anchor our lives in God. Someone who is far greater and far more powerful than us. And when we do that, what happens is this, is we experience a joy, a peace, and a hope that is beyond words. But what amazes me is, like I said, is how many people get stuck in the knowing. We've gone to church all of our lives. We know all the stories. We know all the promises. When someone gets up to opens the Bible, you say, I've heard that story before. But it has never gotten to the point of believing. And you're like, Pastor Dave, how do you know that? I know that because a lot of us have never experienced that joy, peace, and hope that only comes from God. You see, when we start believing in God's promises, what happens is those things we experience because we're connecting to God. The third thing I would tell you is this, is we need to act on God's promises. It's great to know, it's great to believe, but we have to act. And what I would say, it's that transition that goes from our heads to our hearts to our hands. It's not just intellectual, it's not just emotional, but there's actually this physical manifestation of God's promises in our lives. Let me go back to this stool. I can tell you that I know this stool is going to hold me. I can tell you I, can, I believe this stool is going to hold me. But when I act and I actually sit, 
I won't fall off the stage here. When I sit on the stool, guess what? I experience it. It becomes real for me. And the thing I want you to get to is my action actually impacts those around you. Or it impacts you as well. Because if you look at me, you're going to go, okay, this guy knows, he believes, but he's willing to act. And when I sit on this stool, it kind of makes it real for you as well. Because you're like, yeah, that stool is going to hold him. You see, acting on God's promises does two amazing things in our lives. The first thing it does is this, is it actually allows us to experience God. When we live out the promises of God in our lives, it connects us to God on a deeper level. I believe this with all of my heart, that God will bless when we are willing to step out and put our money where our mouth is. When we're saying, okay, you know what? I want my walk to match my talk. I can just speak for me personally. I know it is so easy to talk about God's promises. I have a BTH. I've gone to school. I've read the entire Bible. I know all the promises, and I can rattle them off, and I can tell you what they are, and I can, you know. But I find that walking in those promises, what that does is it actually takes it to the next level, right? It makes it real. Because I can say, no, I've experienced God. Right? God's just not here. He's here, but I've also experienced in my life. Second thing I would say is this, is it makes an impact on the world around us. When we begin to act on God's promises, that's the part that people see. You can tell them all about those promises, but when they see you living out those promises in your life, that makes an impact. You see, when we are willing to act on those promises, that is when God shows up, and that is when God demonstrates his power through our lives. When something terrible happens, and people in the world, they would go one way, and you go the other way, and they're like, why are you like this? And you're saying, because I'm acting on this promise. And they're like, whoa, the joy, the peace, the hope you have is so different than mine. Right? It becomes a testimony to those around us. Now, let me close this morning by giving you one final thought. This is it. That kind of umbrellas everything we've been talking about when it comes to God's promises. And it's the whole idea of waiting on God. We live in an automatic, instant world. And let's face it, waiting is actually painful. It is. When someone makes a promise to us, we want instantaneous results. But here's the thing I want you to understand this morning, is that is not how God works. When it comes to God and his promises, it's not about our timetable. It's all about God's. You know, we read this story of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, Hagar, and the thing we say is this, is we're, we're so quick to criticize, aren't we? Like, oh, Abraham, Sarah, why did you take things into your own hands? Why couldn't you just wait on God? Because you go a few more chapters and you see Isaac's coming. Why did you have to do that? But before we pass judgment, let me give you a quick timeline here, okay? 
Abraham received the promise when he was 75 years old. He didn't see the promise come to fruition until he was 100. I think the danger is this, is when we read the Bible, we kind of lose track of time. We flip through the chapters, we're like, oh, that wasn't too much time. This is 25 years. Let me give you an example. That's someone promising me something when I was 25 and me not seeing it till I was 50. In fact, if that's the case, I still would be waiting because I'm only 46. And you're like, Dave, you look so much younger than that. No, I'm 46. All right? So I'm going to wait four more years. And so let's face it, waiting on God is tough, but let's not forget the big idea that we have. What is it? God is faithful. What? All the time. And all the time, God is faithful. God promised to make Abraham into a great nation. His descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And even though Abraham had no children because of his, his wife was unable to conceive, God promised Abraham that his wife would bear him a son. And God remains faithful despite Abraham's unfaithfulness. And I am so thankful for that. And it says this, at the age of 90, Abraham's wife, Sarah, bore him a son, and they named him Isaac. Because God is faithful all the time. And all the time, God is faithful. Now here's the exciting part. God loves us so much that he has given us a book full of his promises. But it's not enough just to hold these promises. We have to respond to them. We have to know the promises of God so that we can decipher between the lies of the world, the promises of the world, and the promises of God. We need to believe in them so that we can anchor ourselves to God and we can experience the, the joy and the peace and the hope that only comes from God. And then finally, we have to act on those promises so that we can experience God in our lives, so we can know that he is real, and that we can impact those around us as God demonstrates his power through our lives. And as we wait on God, God will show us that he is faithful all the time. And all the time, he is faithful. Let me pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for the fact that you've given us your word, your love letter to us, and that there are so many promises in there that we can hold to. Lord, I pray that we would respond to those promises, maybe continue to respond to them, but maybe for the first time we respond to them. Lord, I pray that we would get to know them so we can determine what the promises of the world, how hollow and shallow they are compared to your promises. That we believe in those promises so that we can anchor ourselves to you and we can experience a joy and a peace and a hope that only comes from you. And Lord, that we actually would step out and we'd act on them so we can experience you in our lives so you can become real to us and just show us just how much you love us, but also that we can be a reflection to those around us as we live out those promises so that they can see them 
they can see your power being demonstrated through our lives. So I pray that you give us the patience to wait on you. And as we do, I pray that you would just reveal yourself in an amazing way. Lord, we thank you so much that you loved us. And we love you tremendously. And here we pray.